Hi, sweet magical podcast listener. It's Amy and Risa here from the Missing Witches podcast. We wanted to let you know that we are getting ready for our annual May fundraiser for Native Women's Shelters. It's our third year. It's the fourth year that we've donated our proceeds, but the third year that we're doing this fundraiser. And it's become a community creation that we'd love to invite you to help us build. Every year we donate our own proceeds for the month of May from our Patreon and missingwitches.com. And then we started to put together a raffle with prizes donated by the incredible fucking magical artists, artisans, healers, poets, practitioners in our wide witch web. And it just got bigger. So to participate in the raffle, just make a donation of $10 or more to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal or to your own local nonprofit supporting Native women or Native people that's close to your own heart and home. And then just send the receipt for your donation to missingwitches at gmail.com and you'll be entered in our great big prize draw. I think we do one entry for every $10 of your donation. So if you make a $100 donation, that's 10 entries, something like that. That's right. Yum. And to learn more about this project, you can check out missingwitches.com slash reparations, or again, email us at missingwitches at gmail.com. And oh my gosh, uh, and oh my goddess, and oh my, <laughs> all the goddesses. If you are a listener interested in donating a prize, we are fucking thrilled to hear from you. So please email us, uh, same address, missingwitches at gmail.com, and we will be excited to celebrate you and share your work and join in this act of reparations and community love to together. Thank you. Less of fucking be. Bienvenidos. Welcome to another episode of Tu Tia Bruja. I'm Bex Carlos, your designated Tia Bruja. So first order of business is I want to announce that we have partnered with Missing Witches, the podcast zine community. They have an annual fundraiser to benefit Indigenous women's shelters, not just locally where they are located, but also all over the world. Like if you just submit proof that you donated to an Indigenous women's shelter or have donated money to help Indigenous women, you get entered to win some really amazing prizes and services from a lot of folks in the witchy and bruja community. And you know a bitch loves solidarity, loves being able to uplift folks and help folks that really need it. So if you are in a place to donate, by all means, please do. And if you can't, share it. The energy used in sharing and allowing other people to potentially have eyes on something that they might not have access to is equally as valuable. I wanted to do a poll of some oracle cards because I have a lot to say and I don't necessarily know how to say it. So I'm pulling from Marcella Kroll's Roast Iconic Oracle Deck. And the cards I pulled are Triggered, Love and Gaslight, and Land Back. And I feel like those are so appropriate, and I'm going to explain why. I'm always going to uplift and help Indigenous people. I do not call myself an Indigenous person. 
I am the descendant of indigenous people. And I will clarify why I say that instead of saying that I am indigenous or I am a detribalized indigenous person. I say that I am the descendant of indigenous people because I know that I am. I know the people that I come from, but I do not speak the language. I did not grow up in the tradition. And I personally think it is a disservice to claim to any capacity that my life experience is the same as theirs because I am a fair-skinned person. I am mestizo and I am fair-skinned and therefore the levels of violence and atrocities that I will see are not on the same caliber. And again, I think it is a disservice to claim that. Personally, I'm not going to judge or critique anybody else's life experience. But the reason I think the triggered card is so applicable here is because I think there's a lot of Latin and speaking specifically of Mexican-American people who are very confused about their identity. And I'm not going to lie, being Latin is really complicated. Being Mexican-American is really complicated because I have to understand that my existence came at the hands of violence. I recently found out that in Mexico, as part of the violence of colonization, if you will, indigenous women with babies were often targeted and they were drowned. They would throw the baby into a body of water. And if there was not a body of water available, they would beat it with a rock. They would bash their head in with a rock. And I think that it should just be understood that there should probably be a trigger warning with every episode because we're going to dive into some deep shit, some really you know, we're healing generational trauma. It's not all beautiful. And then if it wasn't enough to murder their children, they would often be sexually assaulted and then murdered. The ones who weren't murdered were sexually assaulted and at times became pregnant and had to carry their abusers' children. And there's something really hard to swallow about the fact that the blood that runs through my veins is both the oppressed and the oppressor. My identity is very layered. My identity has a lot of blemishes. My identity is complicated. And I think that the best thing that we can all do is do a honorable service to understand both parts that make us up, both the beautiful love and light, but also the darkness and evil of the colonizers. And I think that this is a conversation that can be very triggering. It can be very difficult. And a lot of people don't want to claim identity to the abusers and the toxic people that abused our ancestors. That doesn't stop it from being in our blood. That doesn't stop it from being in the blood of our parents, our grandparents, our siblings, our uncles and aunts. Let me tell you something. The mother wound, it runs deep. When your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, your mother had all of the eggs that would one day become you, your siblings. Y'all can all carry violence and trauma that doesn't even belong to you. That started way before you were born but we carry that and we have the choice to heal it, to learn from it, to let it go and ensure that future generations don't inflict violence and ignorance in the way that the people before us did. And I think that the love and gaslight, right? Because it's easy to show up and love the beautiful parts. I think there's so many parts of the traditions and the culture that we gain from indigenous people in Mexico that are distinctly from indigenous people. And 
I really do think it is gaslighting and I really do think it's a disservice to just take the good and not also speak about and heal and work past the evil. Because the thing is, that stuff still lives inside of us unless we figure out a way to let it go. And the land back card for me is the only way I truly feel that we can help the indigenous folk in our lives and in the world is by healing and having these difficult conversations because a lot of people who face this are ancestors. I have a lot of privilege and I very much acknowledge that. I want to give a shout out to Johnny and Eileen of Wikiaror because I know we sort of touched on Latinidad and how honestly a lot of the times it's a lot of bullshit because it only highlights the Eurocentric parts, beauty features, whatever, whatever. But the reason that in Mexico and in so much of Latin America, our traditions are so rich and beautiful is because of the indigenous folk and the African folk and all of these traditions that accumulated and blended and fused for us to have what we have. Like, yeah, we speak Spanish, but when you really start to analyze, it doesn't all come from the Spanish. Uh, I also want to shout out Cristina of A Spooky Tales because we analyzed the Bravo 100 scariest movie moments and film was my first love. It truly was, I think, because it helped me understand so much of the world around me. Being the child of immigrants, like I didn't have a manual that told me, oh, hey, this is what you're going to expect and this is how your life is going to differ than your parents. And there's going to be times where they're like parallel experiences because you're figuring this out and they're figuring this out and you're basically helping each other figure it out. But that is why I loved movies. They just made me aware of the world around me. And I remember when that countdown came out, my friends and I, we would have movie nights. I remember we had like a triple feature once of uh, the theme was be nice to the weird kid. And it was a triple feature with Psycho, Carrie, and Freaks. And we had a lot of nights like that where we just kind of chipped away at the list. You know, I was always really good. If you give me a list, I can usually start to chip away at it. Then I went off to college. And in college, I think something, you know, happened in my brain. And for whatever reason, like, I didn't necessarily want to make movies. Or maybe I didn't think I was good enough to make movies. Or I don't know. But I pivoted from loving film and admiring film in the way that I did to wanting to work in audio. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that like I did my second love, I would say, is music because there's just so many songs that like punch you in the gut and makes you feel something so intense, you know. And so because I love music so much, I had so many bonding experience with like my parents or people with music and I just loved audio so much. So I ended up going into mass media. I was so fortunate as a college student. I was a junior. I had started working at the student-run radio station, and then a position opened up at the local pop station. I worked there for a few years and then ended up moving back home after college. I had like graduated and was full-time for a bit, and I just was like, I need something different. So I moved up to St. Louis, and I worked at the alternative radio station in my town for a few years. And then after that, I worked at an adult contemporary station. And I just think about how like that foundation really allowed me the push to just like, hey, you know how to do all these things. Like what if you figured out a way to do it for yourself, which is how I got into podcasting, started editing shows for people. I started creating 
you know, dabbling with like different show ideas until I created this one. And I just think about how it's so much easier now. Today's guest is Jason Ramirez, and he is the host of the Hit List podcast. And his podcast focuses on the guest comes on, they watch a movie that the guest has never seen before. They both watch it. They analyze it, discuss it, whether they enjoyed it or they didn't. I was on his podcast and we discussed the movie Volver. When I was in college, I took so many different film classes. I took international cinema. I took world cinema. I took French cinema. I took US cinema. You know, I, I just really, I watched a lot of movies and I really started to like learn how to analyze them and appreciate the artistic value that they brought to the table that was so beyond just like blockbusters from Hollywood. And I think it was like in my senior year, I was getting pretty close to the end of the semester and we were supposed to watch Volver and I didn't watch it. So my redemption arc was being on Jason's podcast. I really enjoyed it. It is a film by Pedro Almodovar. He is a Spanish director. What I like about his films is... He is a openly gay man who was making films after Francisco Franco, who was the fascist dictator in Spain. He was making films after that time. And they really show like the weakness of men, the cowardice, the violent, you know, and then show like the flip side of like women who are strong and capable and resilient. And I really do think that that is a direct critique of Spanish fascism because the three major pillars in fascism, but especially like based on Franco, were religion, family, and the government. And all of those, when unchecked, can cause a lot of violence. Your family can cause a lot of violence to you. The government can cause a lot of violence to you. Religion can cause a lot of violence to you. can be very limiting of human experience. And obviously, as a gay man, he is expressing what he's sort of seen of the world in a funny and critical way. The flip side, right? Jason had me on his podcast. And since I've been in this whole space, right, of trying to understand the world and people through film, I'm really glad that I saw these movies now because uh, back in, I graduated in 2013. I had not yet gone to Spain. I had really no perspective of Spanish culture other than the fact that I speak Spanish and I know that they colonized Mexico. I would say it hasn't really been since 2018 when I went on my, I call it tour de colonizer, because I went to Spain and Italy and France that I really kind of started to dive deeper into the culture of Spain because it is so different in Latin America, at least in Mexico and my experience. It's a lot more inviting. It's a lot more warm. It's a lot more, I don't know, it's hard to explain, right? And I realized that a lot of that is due to the influence of indigenous people and African people and people looking out for people because they were in need and want to support each other. Everywhere has its problems. Mexico and a lot of places in Latin America have their problems, but I just see these countries differently than I see Spain. Identity is so complicated. You know, it it really, really is. And in order to really understand who I am and where I come from, I really feel like I need to make sense of 
where did these beliefs, where did these traditions, where did this whatever come from? And a lot of the generational violence and trauma that a lot of us have come from the Spanish, come from the fact that at times they can be a very cold and repressed people, very angry, violent. Not always, but I will say that being in Spain was a experience. And I feel like we can learn about, again, things and people through films. So today's film is Mujeres al Borde de un Ataque de Nervios, also in English known as Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. It is a 1988 Spanish Black comedy directed by Pedro Almolovar, and it stars Carmen Maura and Antonio Banderas. I'm going to just let us get into it. Through divine timing and a series of events. I've been so fortunate to connect with different individuals who create content related to films. So today I'm really excited to return the favor. I was recently a guest on the Hit List podcast. So Jason Ramirez, thank you so much for being here today. All right, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really glad you said the full name because people think it's just the Hit List, but the full name is the Hit List podcast. So I appreciate that. Listen, I try and do my research. <laughs> <laughs> So I would love to hear a little bit about you, Jason, because we're still in the process of like getting to know each other. We are both in different spaces of people who create podcasts. And so it's cool because there's a lot of networking and stuff, but I realize I don't really know you super duper well <laughs> beyond the fact that we did a podcast together and film is your your niche. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Jason Ramirez, uh, host of Hitless Podcast, as Yari said. And for as long as I can remember, I've always loved watching movies and TV shows. Like I had no other interest when I was a kid beyond just like watching TV or watching a movie. I can like my earliest experience that I can remember is rewatching The Prince of Egypt over and over on VHS because that was the one movie we had that I loved. And to this day, I still love. And so that kind of re reflected into me like wanting to become a filmmaker, but also like the impact of Inception because I saw that in theaters when it premiered and I wanted to become a filmmaker for that reason. And fun fact. Many people think I went to film school. I didn't go to film school. I went to school for communication with a focus on digital media. And people think I went to film school because I know so much about film and filmmaking. But it's really just because I watch film commentaries after watching the movies. As far as like the podcast. So it's called the Hit List Podcast because it was originally going to be called the Netflix Hit List. Since I don't own the word Netflix, I couldn't use that. Basically about like watching movies that are on our list, our watch list. And talking about whether we should have seen them sooner or not and whether they were hit or miss and then talk about how they were made as well and i got to know bex through the discord of a bunch of podcasters and we did our episode on volver with penelope cruz uh directed by pedro almodovar and here again today excited to be here i feel like when you're on someone else's show the best thing that you can do to kind of just get a feel for it and like the host and just whatnot is to listen to a few episodes your commentary is so great so many of us have films, right, that we have not jumped into. And it's a classic. I know one that y'all did was The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. And that's one that I have like a special connection to. So I was like, okay, I have to listen to that one. But what is one that you haven't gotten the chance to knock out that is on your list? It's a very long list. If I could combine from like Netflix with HBO Max with like all the other streaming apps, it'd be a very long list. Not to mention, I have a bunch of my letterboxed. I also wanted to mention that I related to 
was the fact that you had said that you watched movies and TV a lot. And I feel like for a lot of children of immigrants or people who are learning about like the American experience, that's the best way to understand American nuances that you might not otherwise know. Growing up, I watched so much TV and so many movies just for like an understanding of the world around me. That's like the only way I can relate with my parents. Like our family loves movies and that's basically our way of bonding with each other. I think the most recent movie that we were able to watch together was um, Knives Out. And my parents love that movie because like they love mysteries. I guess that kind of translated to me because I love mysteries as well. It's just a way of like spending time together because, you know, growing up working class, we couldn't really afford to like go skiing, you know. I relate. Never gone skiing once in my life. Let's dive into the reason that we're here today because, again, we watched one of Pedro. Is it Almodovar? I think it's Almodovar, yeah. So we watched Volver on your podcast Mm -hmm. for your podcast. And so today we are discussing women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, or as it's known in Spanish, mujeres al bordo de un ataque de pánicos. And what I thought is interesting, ataque de pánicos does not necessarily translate to a nervous breakdown. Yeah. But that's the thing with like Spanish is that sometimes there's certain things that don't translate the same way. But I will say all of the women in that movie were very eccentric. (laughs) And I think that that is a common theme in his films is that all of the women, especially in Volver, like the thing that I loved is that the little pueblo that they were from, they acknowledged that it was like the most mentally ill women. (laughs) And I'm like, geez, the theme of like complicated, mentally ill women is something that is in all of his films. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw as well. This was released in 1988. All of his films before this were like smaller budgets. I think I saw that before this one, it was a mil and a half, whereas this is was his first film that was 14 million. And I'm wondering, like, what, what exactly was all this budget spent on? Mm. Because I personally didn't recognize any of the cast other than Antonio Banderas. Yeah. <laughs> which also, he was such a little baby. I brought that down on my nose, too. Like, he's just a baby. Like... We know him as this, you know, well, he's old now. Like, he's, like, close to 60 or or if not already 60. Movies I've seen him in, he's already, like, a grown man. El Mariachi and Zorro and also Puss in Boots, you know. But Mm -hmm. for this one, he's like, who is this child right here? (laughs) He was 28 years old and he looked so much younger than that. I thought he was 21 in that movie, too. Like, if I saw it later, he's 28. I'm like, bro, what? I think it's the way he was dressed, too. He kind of gave the feel of, like, a little boy in his father's clothing. Mm. Yeah, he was the only name that I really recognized when I was looking through the list. But I got to be really honest. I probably wouldn't know a lot of Spanish actors from, like, the 80s or 90s. The only ones that really come to mind for me are, like, Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz. Same two to come to mind as well. The film is about a woman named Peppa, and she's going through it. Her boyfriend's left her. They're both voice actors who dub foreign films. And all throughout the movie, like, she's trying to get in contact with Yvonne, and it's a lot of phone tag. She has moments where she's, like, kind of losing it and, like, will rip the phone out of the wall and throw it through the window. And (laughs) she's kind of trying to decide, like, what's the next step in her life. So she's burnt down her bed at one point. She's, like, really just emotionally going through it. So she's thinking about renting this place, probably because she has all these memories with her boyfriend or whatever. She has maybe the worst and best luck in the world. (laughs) The guy who's interested in renting it is the son of her lover. So the son of her lover, who is Antonio Banderas, uh, his name is Carlos in the movie, and his girlfriend Marissa come and see it. And 
At the same time, she's harboring her friend who she thinks is a fugitive because she got connected with some terrorists and there's just like a lot going on. And then Beppa goes to speak to a lawyer about potentially helping her friend. It's like, well, she didn't really do anything and the lawyer's really no help. And then you find out that Ivan has another lover that he had before Peppa, who was locked away in an insane asylum and she's released. It's interesting because you find out that there are all these women that just want Ivan so bad. And it's sort of creating this whole <laughs> kerfuffle because even the lawyer was very cold because she kind of has a thing with him these police officers come and they're trying to talk to Beppa's friend and like okay well we need information someone here had called and there was information about a terrorist attack that's supposed to play out who made the call and they give the police officers a gazpacho that is spiked with drugs and earlier they had given Mm -hmm. carlos's girlfriend or fiance they're all like passed out in this apartment So Beppa runs to try and meet with Yvonne because they're trying to like kill him. And then through all of this, that seems like a fever dream. (laughs) At the end, she saves him. She ends up at her apartment and you find out that the reason she was trying so hard to communicate with him is because she was pregnant Mm. or is pregnant. That's the movie in a nutshell. Jason, what were your thoughts? So growing up, I was not allowed to watch telenovelas and also I wasn't interested in them. So I never really understood the hype for them. And then I saw this show a few years ago called Jane the Virgin, which was like a parody, but also a telenovela. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. And so like when you recounted the whole story, like the summary of the whole movie, I'm thinking like, yo, this is just a telenovela, but like so f- much funnier than I've ever seen. The reason why I really like the movie is because the characters aren't trying to be funny. They they have their own serious situations. They treat it as serious as they can. It's just like how they react to it is really funny. Yeah, it's the best comedy, you know? Like so much comedy I see lately is just like people just doing the most outrageous things just for laughs. But no, just play it straight. It's so much funnier that way. I think that's something about the Spanish that I do appreciate is that they are very unintentionally funny. That's also because Spanish is one of those languages that you can say so much with saying so little. And so there's a lot more nuance there. Like my dad will sometimes, there's a phrase that I've heard people say where it's like, you thought you were going to Guatemala, but you went to Guatepeor. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then when you, you know, when you're like, oh, well, Mala, Pior. And like, so you get it, but it's just like, holy shit. So many things like that in Spanish, you know? And I feel like, no, I I, I get you because... In this movie, there were a lot of times where there were things that were just, this shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it really, (laughs) really is. It's like you were saying earlier about like how the title doesn't really translate to English. When parents call their kids, I'm gordito, como estas? No esta mi gordito. Or like the saying like sana sana colita de rana. If you say that in English, it doesn't make sense, but it does in Spanish, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, one thing that I observed in the movie was... I think that there are times Spanish people look down at Latin America. Oh, yeah. Because one thing that really came out to me in the movie, there's this taxi driver who three different times where Peppa needs to get somewhere and it's like, follow that taxi or follow that motorcycle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they kind of build a rapport. He has this very gaudy cab. It has everything that you need, could want, whatever. But the decor is just very like over the top and very gaudy. And... He's talking to Peppa and he's like, do you want me to switch the music? I can switch it. I got this. I got that. I got metal. I got. And she's like, no, Mambo's fine. He's like, good, because Mambo's the only kind of music that goes with all this decor. And 
Mambo comes from Cuba. So I didn't know if that was a shot at Cuban culture or whatever, or if it was just sort of, it's kind of fun and funky like this place, you know, but I was Mm -hmm. just, I always assume the worst with the Spanish. I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Did you catch that? Not at first, but I did see like later on, I was doing research on the film about La Movida Madrid, the whole counterculture movement that was happening after the Spanish dictator's death in 1975 and how there was a huge move to like create this art that wasn't really allowed during the fascist um, regime. Um, Almodovar's impact of the film like kind of inspired that or was inspired by that movement. So I think it's, some of it is like some of the culture that he saw like during that era, like in the 80s. That's probably just me overthinking it. I love the Mambo Taxi. Like, it just reminds me like modern Ubers, you know? Like, some people will like go over to top to make sure they get the five stars, like having like waters or like tissue paper or whatever. But as far as like the critique of like Latin culture, I'm not sure if that's what it was, to be honest. I always, like I said, assume the worst. (laughs) Okay. One of the things that had me dead, though, is there's a commercial for a laundry detergent. Oh, yeah. I love that commercial. Ekemomo. I think is what it was called. And so it's like this lady states, she's like, I'm the mother of the infamous Crossroads killer. And when my son brings filthy clothes home after he's committed a heinous crime, I use this particular brand of laundry detergent and it gets it so clean. You'll think it's a lie. And the police come in and they're like, it's clean. No like blood or guts anywhere. <laughs> it's so funny because I remember this joke from Jerry Seinfeld where he basically makes one of like those commercials of they're saying like you can get rid of like these blood stains. And what situation would we need to get rid of that much blood? Like I'm not a serial killer. And then to see this joke in the movie, I'm like, you know what? I, I love to see it. I think Jerry Seinfeld might have gotten a joke from this movie. That commercial so ridiculous, but all right, like I'm on board. You'll have to remind me, Jason, because I know that you are Latino as well, but I don't want to assume the country. I mean, I'll, I'll let you assume it. I won't get offended. I could have sworn it was, was it Honduras? Yeah. Okay, it was. Okay, cool. And El Salvador. Because I was like, is it both or is it just one? Do you feel like that's a common thing that you see, like kind of a dark sense of humor in like the cultures of both of those countries? I come, a, come from a very unique background where my parents are very religious. And so their sense of humor is very lighthearted, kind of like Chesperito or Chavo. In that type of sense, like just like punny stuff. Like you'll say, like, for example, my mom will say, Jason, go get me some paper and I'll give her a piece of paper. Yeah, something like that. It's like it's like very lighthearted, like for my family. So I can't say for certain uh, about like a Salvador Honduras, but I will say we have a very dark view of humanity. <laughs> you know what though? I think that that comes from like the news because that's something that I remember growing up with, like Primer Impacto. Exactly. You know, like it's just like bad things are happening all the times, but also aliens, but also witches. That is a shared experience that a lot of us have. Was there anything in the film that popped out at you? Oh, yeah. So I, I guess like their form of um, stalking was like actually stalking, stalking. Like they had to go the extra mile to like find out where these people were. Like I'll admit, I do some cyber stalking. Like I'll research my interviewers before I go in for a job interview. Like, huh, what should I say? Like, what what's their background, you know? Whereas for Peppa in this movie, she's like trying to find Ivan. And she not only follows the cab of his ex-wife, but she's also able to like figure out the apartment number off of this past comment that she made to the show from a phone number or whatever. And then 
just the whole amount of work that went into stock. I'm like, wow, they really went the extra mile for this right here. It was like really funny to see like the extent that she went to do it. That that was something I, I really liked that I was really funny because it was like it was so serious to her. But to me, it's like, yo, at the time, I didn't know the reason why she was going through the whole exam, like contacting Ivan. I thought she just needed to move on. But like, oh, she's actually pregnant. But like at the time, like, yo, just move on. <laughs> I think the one thing I noticed that was similar to Valver was like the night scene. Where she's like sitting outside in the car outside like the apartment. I'm pretty sure it's the same street in Volver where the mom is talking to Penelope Cruz's character. I'm pretty sure. One joke I found really funny <laughs> was it Candela when she almost jumped off the roof and then Peppa was like, You could have killed yourself. And she said, That was the idea. I thought <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> Also, like, the fact that Peppa was such a bad friend to her, she's like, I'm going through She's like, oh, my God, you're such a pest. It's like, Peppa! <laughs> okay, something that I thought was amusing about Candela, because she's kind of the comic relief. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought was amusing is, at one point, Carlos uh, Antonio Banderas' character, he, like, kisses her, and she starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, like, really funny. And then later, she's apologizing to him because she has sort of made fun of the fact that he has a stutter. And she's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But I thought that that was amusing because I recently heard that the reason that a lot of Spanish people, if not all Spanish people, have that lisp is because there was King Ferdinand. So he had a lisp. So a lot of in the 13th century. So a lot of people to sound high class, they would start to imitate him. Wait, what? Yeah. Not realizing he had like a speech impediment. The common folk or whatever were like using the lisp. So that's why you have Barcelona. That's why? Apparently. And I really hope, I looked online and it says that that's something that's been discussed more in like the last couple of decades. And I really hope it's true because that's really fucking funny. (laughs) Because I mean, here's the thing too, right? It's not that you necessarily hear that everywhere in Spain. It kind of just seems like it is in the bigger cities. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was people from the cities just being like, I am better than you. I speak like royalty, but the royalty spoke with a lisp. Honestly, knowing human behavior, I think that's true. (laughs) In addition to that, there was a moment where Paulina, who's the lawyer, who's Ivan's girlfriend she at one point when they're at the airport she calls him weak and he agrees with her and then she says don't agree with me and he says but i am and she's like (laughs) i know but there are times i don't want to be right about (laughs) speaking of paulina two scenes i really loved with her on there when peppa first meets her and then like she says i'm not gonna help candela she should be prosecuted and then peppa just like slaps her (laughs) and like just the slap the way she just sits down immediately i could not stop laughing for like a minute straight it's simulated slap whenever they make us do a slap on the movie they make it so like it's a different angle so it looks like it's slapped but they're actually a few feet away because they don't want actually want to hurt the actor just the effect it had on her that she went from standing to sitting down i was like that that's hilarious the second one was when pippa just narrowly misses them like she's throwing out the suitcase uh ivan's suitcase and he's outside and so is um, Paulina, and she sees her like walking to the garbage, and she has to like pull her seat down to avoid like um being caught. <laughs> and then like later on, when she 
it's in this, it's the same scene where Peppa's upstairs. She throws a record out the window and it hits her right in the head. And she thinks like, oh, she knows we're here. We had to go. <laughs> so many things, like you said, that were like unintentionally funny. And that whole scene was one of them. I just want to really like point out that Yvonne had these three w- women losing their fucking shit over him. You know, <laughs> Lucia, who was Carlos's mom. And you find out that like she was locked away in a mental hospital. And so she faked being sane to be let out, try and kill him. Vibes, honestly. <laughs> right? Her, Peppa, Paulina, all three of them. I don't know what that says about him because he did seem very cowardly. You have all of these different times where him and Peppa are just like missing each other. He's leaving messages to, for her and avoiding her. It's just so messy. I also remember like like the very first scene when he's like saying those words, the lines for like the film's dubbing. And as he's saying this, he's looking at all these different women as he's walking to work. And I just I just laughed because they're all like different women from around the world. Uh, the way they were dressed, like you can tell like he's like looking at all these women. And at first you're thinking this man is like an unfaithful guy. He's saying this as he's looking at all these other women. And then it's like he is an unfaithful person. He that's his thing, you know. Okay, I'm really glad that you mentioned that monologue he has where he's walking and he sees, I think it's a baton twirling woman who he's just like, some things are just undoubtedly American. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) He was just a dog and he brought all these women on this wild ride with him. So you mentioned the first scene. So I want to mention the last scene because I thought it was really funny. Peppa comes back and Marisa, who is Carlos's fiance, has been passed out like the whole duration of the movie because she was just like, ooh, there's gazpacho and I'm going to drink it. And it was laced with a bunch of bar- barbiturates. Yeah, barbiturates. And so she was had just like passed out. And they're like, she's cool. Like, she's just going to be out for a while. She finally wakes up and they're talking and chit chatting. And it's the first person she's told that she's pregnant. But at the end, Marissa starts telling her about like the sex dream that she has. And she's like, you know what? You lost that hard look that virgins have. Virgins <laughs> are awful. Which translates to, ¿Perdiste ese look duro que tienen los virgenes? Las virgenes son de lo peor. And I just thought that was so funny. And then the music is like all starting up. I really do love, right? Like at the end, there is just sort of this camaraderie between these two women. It's like, listen, it's been a fucking shit show. We've all gone through stuff. That movie really did feel like a fever dream at times. It did. I had to like rewind because I'm like, did I miss something? I'm like, no, they're just throwing a lot of shit at me right now. Yeah, definitely the part that was like feverish, dreamish is the fact that like the Shiite terrorists are still a part of the, the plot. And that's why the cops are there in the first place, because they checked the phone call when uh, Carlos made the gave them the tip that they're going to hijack the, the same plane his dad was going to take to Stockholm. <laughs> I was like, that's got to be a coincidence. It was a huge coincidence, you know, like it must have been fate. Like I was hoping, actually, that Ivan will be caught in that terrorist thing, not in like the sense that he'll be killed, but the sense that like confront like all the women on the same plane. But that didn't happen. It didn't go that way. <laughs> I feel like that would have also fit with Almodovar. His whole thing is showing men being weak, being useless, kind of just inept. So I feel like even if he joined on accident or was part of this organization or was taken hostage, I feel like kind of would have fit in with that. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for watching this movie and that you enjoyed it. When I was watching, I was like, I hope Jason likes this. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. Please support Jason by listening to his podcast, The Hit List Podcast. The information on how to do that is in the show notes. If you're interested in watching this film, the Winky article is in the show notes so you can like read a little bit more for yourself if you'd like or if you want to find out trivia. It's available on Amazon. I think I watched it with commercials. It's also available. I think it's on Tubi. There's a couple of different places you can watch it if you want to watch it. I really do like jumping into Spanish film because it does help me sort of have a little bit more context on these people and understand part of myself and my identity. And it's just sort of hard to sometimes know where you fit in. I am very fair skinned. A lot of people look at me and they wouldn't necessarily know. Like I once went to a Mexican restaurant and I started to order. Like I was just talking to him at first, like in English. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, this is very detailed and I just want to make sure he gets me. So I just started saying like, oye, yo quiero un burrito y quiero que las papas fritas estén adentro de el burrito. They don't really do that here in the Midwest. That is something that is more so seen in California. And the guy's mouth just like dropped like this bitch is Mexican. He's like, how do you know Spanish? Como sabes español? I was just like, padres son de México. Yo nací aquí, pero pues yo hablo español. Yo soy mexicana americana. And then he proceeded to ask me like where my family was from. And when I was like, oh, they're from Tequila Jalisco. And he's like, ah, that's why you're up further north. There are a lot of light-skinned people there. And it's interesting because I always sort of was curious as to why. And I'm going to release that podcast episode here soon. I did it with the two hosts of Unpacking the Eerie. The whole episode is about witch hunts, but I really did dive deep on the witch hunt, if you will, or at least the process of colonizing tequila, which is where my family is from. Because if you look into it, tequila was colonized before Guadalajara. And the reason for that is because when the Spanish went to what is now Mexico City, they were introduced to pulque. And pulque was made from agave. And they were sort of like, where do we get more of this? Because what if we run out of grapes and we can't have brandy? So they needed to find something else to get them drunk, which eventually became tequila. Guadalajara was the second city established when Mexico was being colonized, but tequila was established before. I am excited for y'all to be able to re-listen to that episode. It's it's a really good one. It's powerful. Again, a shout out to Missing Witches and please support their fundraiser. The information to do that is in the show notes. And again, I used Marcella Kroll's Roast Iconic deck. She is re-releasing that uh, with more cards. And I think they're larger, a little larger now because these are very tiny. So definitely look into that too. All of the information to support our friends are in the show notes. And I'm really thankful that you listened to this episode and I hope you gained something from it. And I look forward to sharing space with you again. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah, you know what